So Luke chapter 15, before we get into uh, God's word, I'm going to pray one more time for us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to be here, to open your word, to worship, and to gather. Lord, none of this should be overlooked or taken for granted. It's a privilege and an honor to be, Lord, in a church, gathering together on a Sunday, bringing praise to you. And now, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us, Jesus, that as we've opened up your word, that we would now open up our hearts to hear from you. Lord, draw us to yourself. Build us up, Lord. Strengthen us to do what you've called us and asked us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going we're gonna to start reading in verse 11. And I've titled this message, The Prodigal Sons. And I've titled it because that way because I believe that in this specific parable that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 15, you know, it it's, could be even titled in your Bible, The Prodigal Son. Uh, but I think that in looking at the story, there's actually two sons that are mentioned and two sons that were off in their uh, actions towards their father. One, we'll see, was seeking sort of a self-fulfillment, a self-discovery. I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And the other son who seemingly obeyed the father uh, sort of, you know, fell into more of what we would call in today's standards or to today's society, more of a moral conformity, more of a, more of a I will do uh, all that is right, therefore I must be right. Um, but, you know, I think Jesus in this parable addresses uh, the, the, really the, the, the faults and the flaws in both of those. And to understand really the setting and the context of who Jesus is speaking to and why Jesus uses this particular parable is I think we need to go to Luke chapter 15, verse 1. So I said we're going to start reading in verse 11, but look at verse 1 in chapter 15, if you would, with me, to just sort of see the setting and the context of, of who Jesus is speaking to and why Jesus is using these parables in this specific instance. So in verse 1 of chapter 15, it says, The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Two specific groups of people present at this time, and, and Jesus wanted to address uh, both groups of people. First, you have the tax collectors and the sinners. The, the tax collectors, they were government employees. They were constantly fleecing the people uh, by raising taxes. You had sinners who could have been a, a very colorful group of people. It could have been the drunkards, the, the people who were, you know, criminals, the, the, the people who were, you know, obviously not doing good with their life and, and in some way bucking the religious system of that day. So you had the, you had the tax collectors and the, and the sinners, and then you have sort of the second group of people, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, or the scribes and the Pharisees. The, the Pharisees and uh, the scribes, they were the teachers of the day. They were those that were there that attempted to follow the law as perfectly as they possibly could. So sort of highlighting the way that I'm going to do all things right, therefore I myself am right with God. That more that moral conformity uh, mindset and, and that approach to the way that they lived their life. They, 
the law was their standard, and it was a good standard to live by, but it, was, it would ultimately lead to obscuring their relationship with God by trying to follow the law. Um, and Jesus really identified their issue and their problem, the Pharisees and the scribes. He identified it in a couple different places in Scripture. But in Mark chapter 7, verses 6 through 8, he says to them, uh, the Pharisees and scribes, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as, is, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. These men, they decided to live according to the law. They wanted to do what was right with their lips by the things that they did, but really their hearts were far from God. So you had this two different groups of people. You had the immoral versus the moral, the unrighteous versus the self-righteous, the law breakers versus the law abiders at that time. So Jesus told three parables to this this specific group of people at this time. The first parable that he, uh, and all these three parables, I should say, dealt with something that was lost and was, and was then found. You first had the parable in chapter 15 of the lost sheep, sought by the shepherd, found and brought home, and that sheep was brought back, and then a celebration in that village over that one sheep that had been found. Then he moved into the second parable, the parable of the lost coin, where the woman, she loses her coin, and she searches everywhere for it carefully until she finds it. And then when she finds it, what does she do? She brings, she brings, uh, she celebrates by bringing her friends together and let them know, I found this coin. You know, I found what was lost. I have now, you know, I have what I was searching for. And then the last parable is sort of, you know, the, set, the stage have been, has been set for us as we dive into this next parable. So that leads us up to uh, verse 11. So in verse 11, we see sort of the first act of this, of this parable. In verse 11 through verse 16, the first act, it says in, in verse 11, And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Between them, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So the first act, the first sort of state, the first portion of this parable, you have a you have a son who comes to his father, and in verse twelve he he does something that was just absolutely unheard of in in, in these days. In verse twelve, if you look at it there, he says, Father, give me the share of of the property that is coming to me. The son is going to the father and basically saying, I want what you have, but I don't want you. I mean, just incredible to even get our minds wrapped around to, to even begin to think about this, right? To begin to think about what would be within this particular man to go to his loving father and to say, I want what you have, but I don't want you. The equivalent would be, I wish you were dead. 
by him going to his father and saying, give me what I have coming to me is, I wish you were dead so that I could go and live in the resources and the things that you have for me. So the son goes to his father, and you would expect the father to be like, dude, you're banished. <laughs> you're gone. Get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Your true colors are coming out. Your heart is now being exposed. You would expect the father to do that to the son. I know that me being a father, that would be my initial reaction at, at that time. If somebody said, I wish you were dead, you wouldn't be like, oh, great, here you go. Here's everything, but that's exactly what the father does. The father gives what was coming to this son. He gives it, and then in verse 13, you see exactly what this son did with the things that he, the resources that he was given. In verse 13, it says that he squandered all of the what he was given. He squandered his property on reckless living, on wasteful, just absolutely nothing to show for it. He was given, you know, something that was, that was held for him. He goes and he just wastes it. And this is something actually that the older brother would make note of, the other son. So just keep that in mind. If you're taking notes, just sort of put a little uh, star by that. Because the, the, this was something that was notably done that the older brother would say and revisit. We're not going to revisit it yet, but, but after, after uh, the son comes back. So in verse 14, after he's given everything, he loses what he had. He's, he's now, you know, living this good life, quote-unquote good life. In verse 14, it says that a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And he finds himself in this position of need, and what does he do? He goes, and he gets a job. And the job that he gets is probably the most disgraceful job a Jewish person of that day could possibly ever have. He goes to work in the fields with pigs. To that culture at that time, he would be completely ostracized. He'd be completely unclean. He could no longer be a part of the community. He could no longer be a part of the culture. He was now completely removed because of a decision that he was making. I'm, I want this. He gets it. He uses it. It's gone, and now he's working with pigs. It goes on. After he hires himself out, in verse 16 it says, He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I think at this point you have to remember, Jesus is giving this parable to two groups of people. It's really four, but within the two groups. You had the tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is basically addressing this to them at this point, right? Because if you're a Pharisee or a scribe at this time, you're like, dude, these guys, he's, Jesus is certainly talking to them. They're sort of feeling like they're like, hey, I've escaped Jesus' judgment at this point. I'm not in the parable, but we've read and we know, like, actually they will be, and it's coming a little later. But check this, check what happens to the son after this. He begins to want, nobody gives him anything. I do want to say as a side note, uh, when, when God is left out of our lives, when God is left out of our lives, our in, enjoyment becomes enslavement when God is left out. You know what I'm saying? Our enjoyment turns into the thing that we're very shackled to. The very thing that we will be tied to 
It was something that this guy had enjoyed. He took his resources to, and he thought, this is living. This is great. And then he had nothing. That enjoyment turned into the very thing that would enslave him and the very thing that would lead him to doing something within his culture that would be so looked down upon. So that enjoyment turned into enslavement because God was left out of, our, of his life. That boy, that particular son, thought he would go and find himself, right? Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever said that to yourself. I'm going to go find myself. I need to find out who I am. You move to a new place. You know, you take all this, these resources there, and you're like, this is going to be great. And if you're not following the Lord's will, you're going to lose yourself. This man went to find himself, but really he only lost himself. So he's lost, he's in need. Verse 17. What a sweet verse this is, if you guys read ahead right here. But he came to himself. I want to stop there just for a second. He came to himself. This particular son, who had taken everything, who looked at his father in the eye and said, I wish you were dead. I want what you have, but I don't want you who is working with pigs, he comes to himself. What a sweet moment in this parable to just sort of sit on for a minute. Have you ever had one of those moments where you came to yourself? I know that I have. I know that I was at, at, a, at a camp in Catalina Island, summer camp, thinking this is the life with all of my friends, we're fishing all day. All I have to do is listen to a couple of Bible studies during the day, and I get to live however I want. My parents are happy because I'm doing what they want me to do. This is great. I've got everybody fooled. <laughs> and then lies and lies and lies and worry. Oh, man. And then finally it's like, dude, I, I, I come to myself. This man had finally come to himself. He came to himself and realized Check this out in verse 17. How many, he says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. My, my father's servants, they have plenty. And here I am, I'm dying. He comes to himself and this is what he says in verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I have sinned against heaven and before you. This man says, I will repent. When it says he came to himself, it's really a coming to self moment saying, this life that I'm leading is not going to lead to righteousness. This life that I'm leading is not going to lead to enjoyment. This life that I've led to try to find myself has only caused me to be more lost than I was to begin with. And I'm in more need than I ever have been. And now he comes to himself and he says, I will go back to my father. When we repent, just like this man in this parable, when he comes to himself, he has changed his mind. He has said, I will no longer live this way, but I will go back. This, this coming to himself is really uh, suggesting in this particular parable that up to this point, he had not been himself. Up to this point, he hadn't been himself. I think that's worth noting. You know, when you find yourself in sin, when you find yourself off course, if backslidden, if you find yourself just sort of away from where you were, you know, and your values and maybe, you know, who you were to begin with. I know that I found myself in plenty of occasions like that. Just sort of looking around going, how did I get here? This isn't who I am. 
when it says that he came to himself, it was almost like the, the, the parable is saying that he had not really been himself. But this young man, and in, 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 in really coming to himself, he decides to change his mind. He decides he's going to go back to his father and admit that he was wrong, that he was a sinner, and he's going to confess, hey, you're, I wanna, there's freedom with you. I want to be beneath the servants in your house because there's freedom in your house. He comes to himself. He admits all of this. So he's sort of coming up with this, this, you know, this, this sort of scenario that's going to play out. So in verse 20, this is what I love as this is going on. You know, in verse 20, Jesus continues the parable and he says, And he arose, this is the son, and he came to his father. He came, he came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a beautiful picture. As we come to the Lord, as we repent, this is, this is, the, this is the nature of our father, you guys. The father sees him afar off, and he comes running to him. Now, I just want to point out, that, that word ran is like an insanely uh, degrading thing for a man to do in that day. It would be super degrading to do in that culture. You did not run. You didn't do that. But in this case, this father does. Why? Because his son was coming. His son was coming home. He desired to show his son his love. While that, while that son was a far way off in the distance. So his attitude towards his son coming back was, I will run to him. I will go and meet him. Not only does he do that, but he does even more things. But check this out. Write down Deuteronomy chapter 21, because there is more significance to what the father does following this. As he runs out to him, he does more, but there's a significance. So in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21, I'm just going to read what the law stated in the case of this man. So it says, if a man has a stubborn or rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him, bring him out, of the, out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of his city, this, is our, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. That's what the law said. But here this father is running out to meet him. And as he meets them, check this out. As he meets him, his father, the son says, or excuse me, it says that when he saw him, he runs out to him and he embraces him and kissed him. So if the law said that this person would be stoned and everybody knew in this parable that this that that would be what the law said, you would have to think that if the, if the city and the neighbors decided to stone this young man, they would have to go through the father first. They would have to pick up a stone and stone the father first, that the father would be the one protecting the son. 
He hugs him and kisses him, signs to the community that he is forgiving him and reconciling him to himself. You don't hug and kiss somebody if you're not stoked to see them or you feel love towards them. You don't do that. I've seen a lot of fights. Nobody starts a fight with a hug and a kiss. They just don't do that. Fists are flying. Why? Because there's, that's the way it goes. Same thing, a hug and a kiss. It's the father. Any preconceived notion or idea that the son would have, doubt that the son would have if his father would accept him, was completely wiped away. It was completely wiped away. This rebellious son runs into the embrace of his father. His father is hugging him and kissing him. And then his son says to him in verse 21, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I think that speaks of the son having an understanding of what he had done. He had an understanding that there was, that the actions that he committed were sinning against him and and heaven. He understood that there was more to the way that he lived and there was a there was consequences for the way that he lived and he says he goes on he says I'm no longer worthy to be called your son I know I felt like that I felt that way in big big ways but then the father I love this verse 22 the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe put it on him put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet the robe That would be the proof of his acceptance back into the family. When you walked around in those days, there was a way for you to notice what family you were in by what you were wearing. This robe would signify he's back in the family. My son was lost and now he's back. The ring would mean that he he had a sign of authority. He had a sign of authority in that culture. Any other sort of, you know, doubt that the... The, the neighbors or the community would have at that time, they would be completely wiped away because of the robe, because of the ring, and because of the shoes. The shoes would mean that, hey, he was not going to be a slave. slave. Slaves in those days didn't have shoes. He wanted to be less than that. But the father says, no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to put shoes on your feet. I'm going to give you a ring and a robe. And not only that, the father goes sort of the extra mile in verse 23. It says, He says to his servants, bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. I love this. Verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I love this. What a a contrast from how the beginning of the parable started, right? Dad, give me. Father, give me. Give me. He comes back. The son comes back. Make me, make me, make me a servant. What a contrast in how that was, uh, how it started. And, and I love that the community, they begin to celebrate. Get the fatted calf. Get, it is time to celebrate because my son who was lost has now been found. So at this point, the Pharisees are like, yeah, sinners, he's talking to you. He's talking to you. Tax collectors, you're, he's definitely talking to you. And now Jesus begins to sort of shift his focus on the other party that was there. Remember, parable. Jesus is teaching through this, this example some earthly meaning. And through that, he says, okay, now it's you guys. Because look in verse 25. Now 
his older son. At this point, the Pharisees who were listening would probably be like, oh shoot, (laughs) I thought we were off the hook. The older son, the son who seemed to do everything right. Now in verse 25, the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, before we dig into this, I think we should point out a few things about the older brother. So at this point, uh, we know that the older brother, is he's, he's the one that stayed home. He's the one that continued to work. He's found in this part of the parable in the field. So he had some uh, commendable virtues. He worked hard. He obeyed his father. He didn't bring disgrace to the home. He seemed like a, a good person from what we know of him. Compared to his brother, he sort of seemed like a saint. He sort of seemed like really kind of the good of the two. However, uh, as important as obedience and even diligence are, they're not the only test of character. You know, because you could say, well, I'm working hard and I'm, I'm being faithful. Those aren't the only tests of character. There's a lot of other ways to test our character. And in this particular parable, this guy's character is being tested. Because he's out in the field working, he hears and sees the commotion. He asks, what's happening? It's your dad. He brought the fatted calf. Your brother's back. Now the next verse, don't read it yet, will show us his true character. Because what he heard, check out what the verse says. Check out what this verse says now in verse uh, where verse, <laughs> oh yeah, verse 28. He was angry and refused to go in. He was angry and refused to go in. He, his character was tested and he failed that test failed that test. You can't help but notice the unconcern for his missing brother. You know, he, he had to ask, like, what's all the commotion? And in verse, you know, in verse 27, they're like, hey, yeah, it's your brother. Uh, he's come. And your father, you're like, your brother's back and your father killed the fatted calf. And then he's just super, like, ticked. Oh, how could he? Huh? He's doing that. Like, he just has a, just a crazy unconcern for his brother. He has anger. He was both angry at his brother and his father. As, after it says that he refused to go in, in verse 28, it says that his father came out and, uh, and entreated him. But in verse 29, he answered his father, Look, he says, he begins to plead his case. Ah, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friend. But when this son of yours, oh man, I have an older brother and I sort of know this, this language, you know, 
I can sort of feel this like, ah, yeah, I kind of know what he's implying. This son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. You can sort of see him throwing this big pity party. Oh, God, you know, I never, I've never disobeyed you. I've always done what's right in your sight. I've stayed here and served you, and you never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friend, but this son of yours, you know, I can almost, my, my wife and I, we joke a lot of times when our, when our sons do, my son and daughter, when they do great things, I'm like, yeah, that's my child. And when they do, like, things that are just like, ugh, I'm like, your daughter, she's like mouthed off, you know? It's always, like, mine and yours. We try to claim, like, the good and then, like, push off, like, well, that must be your. And it's usually the other way around. My wife gets all the good, and I usually get all the, all the bad, you know? And <laughs> I'm joking. But you can sort of, you know, see this 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 attitude and, and see his true character coming out towards his father and towards his brother. And you can see really clearly how Jesus would be at this time, you know, previously been talking to the sinners and tax collectors and almost at the, like just in that verse 25, now turning and saying the older brother, this is you guys. This is the group of people that has said, I fasted for you. I prayed you know, this amount of time, I've dedicated this amount of my life, I give this much, sort of hoping that through what they do externally would sort of give them what they need internally. But really, it's only given by God's grace. And that's what the Father was illustrating in this very parable, the grace of God. Despite what that younger son had done, despite how he wasted his his resources that were given to him, despite the way that he talked to his father, despite the way that he uh, even, you know, what he did and how he came back, despite all of that, the father came with a robe, with a ring, with shoes. He took the fatted calf and said, let's celebrate. My son has returned. Jesus wanted the Pharisees to know and the scribes to know there's this thing called grace. There's this thing called the kindness of God. When they, when the Pharisees and, and scribes, really it's the Pharisees, that when they saw Jesus for receiving and forgiving the unreligious and, and sort of the, the, the cast down of society, they didn't accept what Jesus did. They rebelled against it, much like this brother did. The father has to come out and say, come on. And, he, and then, you know, the, the older son, he's just pleading or sort of, you know, putting his case out there. And then in verse 30, he says, this son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes, meaning that's how he squandered the money. That's how he squandered what was given to him. He was out there living an insanely ungodly life. But verse, you know, uh, in verse 31, the father says, son, you are always with me. Sort of the, the father's return to what the son was saying. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You guys, so what's so incredibly uh, remarkable in this parable is as lost as the first son was. And you, man, he built a rap sheet. As long as that rap sheet was, as long as that, as, as long as that background and, 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 and record was, it was almost just as long for the other son. 
the son who stayed. So you had the sin and the son who left. You have the sin and the son who stayed. The one who stayed, self-righteous. The one who stayed, he, he had a lack and an unconcern for his, for his brother. He had a bitterness and an anger. Just, just, oh, it was nasty. Both of them needed to be reconciled with the father. Both of them had instances and interactions with the father. One of the sons received it, and the other one, we don't know. We don't know if he did. It doesn't say that they went back in and had a party. It just The father's just pleading his case going, hey, all of this was yours. Everything that I have is yours. Yes, you stayed with me, but this is what I know. Your, son, your brother, my son was lost, and now he's found. And that is cause for celebration. So as much as, you know, these two people can sort of veer away, they both come back to the Father, and it's really their response that, that is, is, is really telling to where they really wanted to be. The younger son, he wanted to be made right with God. The other older son, he was still sort of pleading his case. You guys, we need to have just this never-ending, unquenchable desire to be reconciled with the Father. One of the greatest dangers in the church is self-righteousness. It's a danger. It's a danger within believers to just sort of feel like, well, I'm not as bad as this person, or I can't believe what that person did. This parable right here, it takes away all of those ideas of self-righteousness. It takes away all of those instances where you would say, well, Jesus won't accept that person. No, Jesus will. And if Jesus does, we should. If we have, have strayed, we come back to the Father, knowing that he's anxious to put a robe, to put a ring, and to put shoes on our feet, and to celebrate. But on the other hand, if you're that son or daughter, you know, or you have those tendencies to kind of say, I don't have this, like, you know, insane testimony. I don't have this rap sheet. And I, and, and I don't understand the big deal when somebody really celebrates somebody getting saved. You need to wake up. You need to wake up. There's dangers in both. But the, but the main thing is, is that we need to pursue the Father. We need to seek out the Father. On one hand, the brothers seem like exact opposites, right? On one hand, you know, you're like, wow, they really went like this. But on the other hand, they're almost exactly alike. They're almost exactly alike. And it's time to shift the way that we see the older and the younger. It's time to shift the way that we see them as being these separate things. Because you know what? At the end of the day, sin is sin. Sin will separate us from God, and they're both deadly. Self-righteousness is deadly, and just, just a gnarly way of living life is, is and an ungodly way of living life is deadly. So we are to be reconciled with the Father because the Father is seeking both who are lost. May we fall into the arms of the loving Father. That's our Jesus. That's the, that's the Savior that we get to worship, the Savior that we get to sing to, to pray to, and to live with each and every day. The Father is longing to clothe us with the robe of righteousness and to call us back into his family. May we have the same heart as we pursue those that are lost. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we have. We thank you, God, that you love us, that you care for us, that you died for us. I thank you, God, that you don't grade on a curve. Lord, you don't look at what we've done right. 
you don't account for the things that have we've sort of stored up in our, you know, the way that we've lived in a moral right way. But Lord, you've, you've looked at us and said, you need me just as much as the other person. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for your grace that extends to us, your mercy and your love. So Father, during this time of worship and this time of remembering you through communion and just our quiet time, Lord, may we just fall more and more in love with you. And Lord, put a heart within us that searches what goes beyond. And put within us, Lord, a heart that's quick, that's quick to forgive, that's quick to love. Lord, because if people don't know you, they're lost, no matter how good or how bad.